Most of the time I felt defeated, and that led to much shame and guilt. My faith was placed in me and what I did or didn't do as I tried to outwork my sin. As I matured in my faith, I grew to understand that it was God who was working in me from the very beginning, and that that God who was working in me would complete it, would complete it at the day of Christ, and I could rest assured in that. As a result, I became so thankful for the reminder that there, therefore, is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I simply seek to love Jesus for who He is and what He did for me, and the result is He changes me from the inside out, one sin at a time. Look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so easy for us to get off sight, to get off focus, to get distracted, and, and to look at them where they're at at this point in their walk and judge them, condemn them, maybe not even like them at times, and forget that we too were a work in progress. When Christ has called us to show the love of Christ to those maybe right now where He's doing a refining work. What a difference it made in my faith once I understood it wasn't about me outworking my sins. The second movement I see in this text, it talks about the Philippians were to be characterized by positive steadfastness, by never succumbing to their complaining or grumbling. In verse 14, he gives a command. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. You know what he's saying there? Don't be complainers. Don't be complainers. This isn't difficult to understand, is it? But sure is hard to practice, isn't it? Calling everything into question, Paul is drawing on his personal knowledge, which came from Epaphroditus, and his visit in Philippi, who is now with Paul. You see, he brought to Paul the news of what was taking place that we talked about last week in the church, where they were letting selfish ambition and vain conceit take root in their church. Pride was taking root over humility, and Paul is writing in reference against that. The grumbling was referenced to the people's discontent in the Old Testament. Many of you guys remember the Exodus account where the people were upset with Moses and they grumbled and they murmured against God and Moses. In this verse, it's more likely that these grumblings of the Philippians were directed against one another, breaking the harmonious spirit in their church. The reason he said don't be complainers, verse 15 he says that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said, don't be complainers, be examples. To the Roman culture of Philippi that gave their devotion to Caesar as their Lord, he's saying be examples to them. Paul is reminding them in this verse of their identity, the context of the culture in which they live, and he's reminding them of their calling. Concerning their identity, notice three important statements Paul uses indicating who they are to be. He says, be blameless without reproach. This is in reference to the relationship to the world. The world will often say negative things about Christians. Do we see that taking place today? all around us, but we should be blameless above or without reproach. 
The second one is he says they should be innocent, having internal purity. Paul is referencing genuine and authentic Christians. These are heart-searching words in which we should often, often examine ourselves to look inside and ask ourselves this question. Am I really living and acting true to my faith I profess to believe? We need to do this daily. We need to ask ourselves sometimes moment by moment. Am I really living and acting true to my faith that I profess to believe? And then he says, without blemish. This was a phrase that was used to the sacrificial lambs that would be offered to God. Remember, they couldn't offer a lamb with a defect as it had to be spotless without defect, without blemish. These three statements, blameless, innocent, without blemish, describe the kind of Christian character Paul is saying of how they should conduct and present themselves to the world that's outside of their church. These words describe holiness, that which God desires them to be. Paul is saying this should flow out of who they are because it's their identity as a follower of Christ. Concerning their context, Paul is reminding them of who they are and where they are. He's reminding them that they are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That was his description of the Roman culture outside of the church. And I think we all understand what Paul is saying here to the church in Philippi. He's saying, don't live. Don't act. Don't be like the world outside the church that's deviated from God's standard. And I think it's safe for us to say, he's probably telling them, don't get caught up with everything being said on social media. Don't get caught up with their lifestyle, thinking that what they have is better than what God offers. Don't get caught up in their way of thinking. It's so easy for us to do when we mindlessly scroll, isn't it? What Paul is reminding them is that they're supposed to be God's true children, representing Him to those who are lost, those who haven't surrendered their lives to Christ. Every time I read this passage, every time I look in this book, I think about Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way we do that is we put more of God's Word in our mind than we do the world. It's a daily, daily battle. Concerning their calling, Paul continues his plea by giving them one last metaphor. In this verse, he tells them, shine as lights in the world. He's saying, bear light to darkness. The world could sure use some more light, couldn't it? Agree? Could the world use some more light? Does your job, could your job use some more light? The people you work around, could it use some more light? In your neighborhood, could it use some more light? In your school, could the school systems use some more light? On your sports teams, could it use some more light? What are the implications of what Paul is teaching here? This is our tension. I really believe as Christians, this is our tension. It's because we have a tendency, we have a tendency to go back to our old flesh. 
sinful selves. When believers walk in the flesh, they act like the flesh. And they get, therefore go back to the bondage of the fleshly deeds. You know what happens when we do that? The gospel, it's not advanced. Why? Because we're advancing our own cause and our own agendas. It doesn't advance in here in the church, and it doesn't advance outside of the church. Because believers are living outside of God's will for their life. That doesn't just apply to you individually. It applies to us corporately as a whole, as a body. The way we're represented in, in Brunswick County, God placed First Baptist Church of Shalot here for a purpose, to make a difference in Shalot and Brunswick County. And there's a reason why we exist as a church. This call, this plea, what he's saying is, is we together need to examine ourselves we need to shine as the light He called us to be. It's not just for you individually to decide what you like and don't like and go represent out there. He's calling us as a church to represent Him well in a lost and fallen and broken world. You see, the opposite of the tension is, is when we're feasting on Christ's Word. When believers are walking in the Spirit, they're living lives that honor Christ that model to the outside world the love of Christ in which they desperately need. You know, I don't accidentally drift towards doing godly things. I have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. And as we feed on God's Word, I'm fully convinced that it's through the Holy Spirit's power only that it causes me to do the things that I do, and vice versa. If I'm not feeding the Spirit, I'm feeding the flesh, and it causes me to do the foolish and stupid things that I do. When we walk in the Spirit, it leads to the advancement of the gospel message in the church and outside the church as believers are living in God's will. When we, church, are walking in the Spirit at First Baptist Church of Shalot inside here, you'll see a different kind of joy. You'll see a different kind of worship, a different kind of togetherness. I really do believe it. Sometimes I wrestle with wondering if it's possible, if anybody wants it. I believe it. How many of you guys believe it? Do you believe we can have that joy in our church? I, I believe it. I really believe it's possible. I believe there's a purpose for why Paul was pleading with a congregation he loved so dearly, who was obedient. I believe he was reminding them they were forgetting who they were. He says in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, or labor in vain. Paul's confident that at the last day when his work is tested at the day of Christ, that it will be shown by the Philippians' obedience to his exhortation and by their consistency of living that out that I did not run in vain. They would be his crown, remember, and they would be his joy as they stood before Christ. You know, that's my prayer for us here at FBCS. I believe that's the prayer in the heart of every pastor is we genuinely desire that, that our congregation, that our church, that we are called to shepherd and lead would be Christ ambassadors in this lost and fallen, broken world. That one day all of you would stand before Christ and he would look at each of you, us as a congregation, and say, well done, First Baptist, my good and faithful servants. A church that honored me in the midst of a crooked and twisted and perverted generation. Hold out means hold fast by their lives. 
The Philippians were actually holding fast to the gospel. By doing so, their lives became the measuring rod and the illumination of the world around them. Paul ends this section with his personal appeal as his converts were his life. Equally, his life was Christ. Like Christ, notice Paul is always discipling his disciples. He's always teaching them how to live as Christians. You know, one of the greatest blessings and joys about having some of our senior saints in the church is that they too are there to help disciple and remind and teach the younger generation. We need them. We need to honor the fact that we have a multi-generational church. We need to seek out some of the older folks in our church. There's so much that they can teach us, so much that they can show us, but that takes humility. Paul's always discipling. It's not an eight-week curriculum, and then I'm done. It was his life. He was always discipling his disciples. Even till the day you'll see in 2 Timothy when he was about to die and be beheaded. He was always teaching. As I was studying this passage, praying through this passage, and listening to other sermons preached on this passage, I was, I was personally convicted like the Spirit usually does when we study God's Word and we honestly examine for Him to point out to us our own faults, He did. And I thought about the many times over the course of my life in which I allowed my grumblings and my complaints to distract me from God's message of the Gospel. I recognized that I was playing a part that kept the Gospel from being advanced because of my selfish ambition or vain conceit. I was placing my interest ahead of others and not acting who Jesus saved me to be. But what hit me the hardest was that I realized I was keeping Christ from being glorified in our church and outside of our church because of my misguided or misdirected focus. The older I get, the more I realize how important it is for me to daily abide in His Word, even at times moment by moment in Christ through reading His Word, meditating on His Word, praying over His Word, being intentional in applying his word to my life, our church, and our community. If Paul were writing a letter to First Baptist Church of Shalot today, what would he say? I believe he'd remind us to not lose sight of what's most important. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, not your favorite meme. I believe he would address the internal divide, how it brings cancer to our witness and testimony to the community where God placed us to serve and shine our lights. I believe he would urge us to get back to being who we were saved to be and to become pure and blameless with our words and our actions and in everything we do in church life and in our community where we represent his name. The third final movement I see in this passage is the Philippians in verses 17 to 18 the Philippians were to participate in Paul's personal joy in ministry by rejoicing with him and by sharing his same outlook. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul has much joy because the gospel work is advanced whether by his own self-sacrifice or by the Philippians' fellowship that's at work with him. That sacrificial offering is a term speaking of the sacrificial 
service performed by the Philippians' faith and actively supporting Paul, even when they didn't have the finances to do so. Even when they were poor, they continued to support Paul. To Paul, those gifts, they were like a fragrant offering from God. The close bond of union between Paul and his congregation, even in Paul's absence, emphasizes the need for the Philippians in face of the threats of their community from both the outside world and the danger of divisiveness inside their church to stand together in steadfastness for the truth with him. Additionally, Paul is explaining an incredibly important concept concerning joy in the midst of suffering. As I pondered on these verses, I was reminded of Paul's initial trip in Philippi. You remember in Acts 16, and you remember when he was jailed for casting out a demon in a young girl? Rather than complaining about his circumstances, Paul was praising and singing hymns to God along with his gospel partner Silas. The text in Acts 16 reads that the prisoners were listening to them. The implication for me here is twofold. First, Paul saw his life. He saw it as an offering to God. He laid down his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul saw suffering as an opportunity to express joy, not because of his circumstances, but because he had the opportunity to lay down his life for the gospel, to follow the example set by Christ himself. Paul wants the Philippians to understand that this is where true joy can be found. Second, Paul is encouraging them. He's saying, do the same. He's reminding them that as his disciples, they too are called to lay down their lives for the sake of others. Again, Paul is stressing the importance of discovering true joy in doing so. And in doing so, Paul says that together we can and we will rejoice. As I reflect back to Paul's situation in the Philippian jail, all I could think about is how would I have responded? More than likely, I probably would have grumbled. I probably would have complained. I probably would have screamed out to God asking him, why me, Lord? Why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. You see, Paul, he, he didn't do that. In fact, he, he did quite the opposite. He prayed to God and he sung praise hymns. And the impact was incredibly profound as I believe it ties everything that we've studied this morning and last week together. Did you notice, as I mentioned earlier, that the prisoners were listening? Imagine if Paul was filled with anger, malice. He was mad at somebody else, maybe somebody else in this room. And he was focused on his circumstances rather than his Savior. What would the prisoners have heard? Probably everything that they've been hearing all these years that they've been locked up. They probably would have been just another night in prison for them. That, but that's not what they heard this night. This night, Paul and Silas, they were there for God's purposes that were much bigger than their own. This night, they were there so the listeners could hear two men who loved Jesus Christ praise Him in the midst of their suffering. This was anything, anything but normal to these prisoners. I imagine the scene playing out as they were all pressing as close to the jail bars as possible. Can you picture the scene right now? 
Here all these prisoners pressed up as close as they can, trying to grab hold of, listening intently to every single word. This is something different. Listen to the rest of the story as I read Acts 16, 26 to 34. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Picture that scene. All the doors open, everyone's chains are gone, they're free. Free to do what? Free to run, free to leave. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Do you see the ministry? Do you see the testimony when we maintain joy in the midst of suffering? Paul and Silas shone like bright lights in a place filled with utter darkness. The prisoners were more attracted to the light shown in Paul and Silas' life than the freedom they had just been given. When I grumble and I complain by myself or alongside to others, I miss the opportunity to shine the light of Christ. But when I fix my eyes on Christ and the cross, instead of my circumstances, I allow Christ, who's already working in me, to work through me. Church, imagine that. When we set aside our grumbling and complaining, we can begin to allow Christ to work in us, among us, and through us. There are so many lost souls outside of here that need us to be the church. As we conclude this morning, I'd like for you to listen closely to Matt Merker as he explains the meaning behind the powerful hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. I believe this hymn culminates everything Paul is writing in his letter to the church of Philippi. And I believe it's a reminder to each of us who are listening this morning. Listen to him explain this song. He Will Hold Me Fast is a song that most of the words were written about a hundred years ago by a prolific hymn writer named Ada Habershon. I encountered the song in a period for me of actually struggling with a fair amount of doubt and questions. I've seen a few people that I've loved deeply and known closely who have actually turned their backs on Christ. 
I was in a season like that actually around the time of T4G 2012, John Piper preached on the doxology there at the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jude says that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, but Piper so powerfully preached that even as we hold on to God, it is God who by his sovereign grace is holding even more firmly onto us. So Jesus reminds us in John's gospel that all who come to him will never be turned away and no one can snatch us out of his hand. It was around that time that I encountered the words of that old hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. I didn't hear it being sung to its old traditional tune, so I sat down at the piano. I just thought this is a song that I need to be singing. There is a place in the Christian life for running to the Lord and saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I praise God if that song has been able to encourage anyone else out there who is seeking to trust that Christ will indeed hold you to the end. He will. the worship team to sing this song during the invitation. While they sing, I want, I want to ask you to do something a little bit different. I want you to remain seated. I'd like you to bow your head at your seat in prayer, or if you feel led to come to the altar in prayer, whichever you feel led to do. But what's most important is that I would like you to spend time talking to the Lord, whether it's by yourself or whether it's with your family, just as parents and children or uh, you yourself, or maybe as a husband and spouse, I would like you just to bow your head in prayer and just talk to the Lord. Speak to Him. If it's coming down to the altar and kneeling and praying and talking to Him, do whatever He's laid on your heart to do, but spend time talking to God. And then after you've spent time with the Lord, when you're finished praying, you can stand and, and join the praise team and the remainder of the song of what's left as we sing it together as a church. I'm going to pray, the worship team's going to sing, and then I pray you respond as the Lord's laid on your heart. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy in a world filled with distractions to lose sight of what's most important. Father, it's so easy for us as a church to maybe miss what you've called us to be as a church corporately and individually Father God I pray that as you have some prayer warriors in here who pray for this church as a whole and each individual in it Father God I pray we would continue Father God to battle against the world and, and Satan's temptations Father God that try to get us off course I pray that we together this year would thrive to be in your presence by living in the Spirit and how we conduct ourselves as a church, how we represent the name, Father God, of Christ through this church and our community. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd also be reminded as we hear the words of this song, just like Paul reminded the, the church he loved in Philippi, this wasn't a question about their salvation. It was a reminder of their sanctification, Father God. It was a reminder of, of living life actively as a believer in Christ, corporately in their church, and individually as a believer in Christ. And so I pray 
that as we sing this song or as we hear these words being sung and as we pray to you, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us each right where we're at. And I pray we would respond with whatever it is you've laid on our heart to surrender to you, each person and us corporately as a church. Father, I love you and I ask this in Jesus' precious holy name.